Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Thank you so much as always for being here. Hope you've had a good week. Monday, enjoy the whole, you know, beating Manchester United thing. That was good. Tuesday, oh yeah, yeah, we're top top of the league. We've got a five-point lead and a game in hand. Wednesday, daydreaming about your favorite player, whoever it might be. Is it Bakayo Saka, Martin Odegaard, Gabriel Martinelli, Ben White, William Saliba, Aaron Ramsdale. Thursday, spend the entire of Thursday listening to Aaron Ramsdale's 19-hour podcast with a couple of guys who look like they're just out of school. Not quite that long, but we've had a good week. We've had a good week, and we go in now to an FA Cup weekend, remaining top of the table. And next week, as we go to face Everton, we will remain top of the table then too. And far be it for me to offer unsolicited advice to people who run football clubs, whether those are head coaches or managers or technical directors or executive committees or whatever it might be. There are many ways to run a football club, of course, some of them good, some of them not so good. But what I think we should do right? And this is sort of revolutionary, a little bit groundbreaking. Bear with me here because conceptually, it might take a little bit to get your head around this one. So I think what we should do is just keep winning football games until such point as there are no more football games to win, or it doesn't matter if you win or not. Now, I don't know if that's something that they've thought about because they they keep going on about this game by game mantra. You know, one game at a time. We're not looking too far ahead. But, you know, I'm a futurologist type person. I'm looking miles ahead into the future. Like as far as, I don't know, the end of April. That far. And I feel like if we just win every game, we'll continue to have good weeks as fans. The manager and his staff will have good weeks. It won't matter which idiot which dummy, which nincompoop decides to get a bee in their bonnet about something which doesn't really matter, but because Arsenal are top of the table, that's pretty much all they can come up with. The players will have good weeks. They'll be able to go on whatever podcast they want, like uh, Mark Maron, for example, interviewing Aaron Ramsdale. So what do you got, knees and wrists? No, I broke my knuckle at the World Cup. And that was from an injury? So I've had to play for the past... Well, since the World Cup, I've had gloves which are together like that. Good talking to you, man. Hey, I'd listen to that. Anyway, going back to my plan, if you ask me, it's pretty much foolproof. And let me just say, I don't want any credit. I don't need to be in the spotlight. Just happy for them to run with that particular course of action. 
So let's let's just keep fingers crossed they can do that. As I said, it is FA Cup weekend. It's a trip to Manchester City. Mikel Arteta versus Pep Guardiola. There's a lot to unpack from this one about uh, how the two managers might approach this one, the the rivalry, the friendship between them and everything else. But we've lots more to talk about as well, including potential injuries in midfield and hopefully potential arrivals in midfield. That and much more with my guest. I'm delighted to welcome to the show from Football London. It's Kaya Kainak. Hi, Kaya. How's it going? Very good, Andrew. Thank you very much for having me on. My pleasure. Let me just ask you first, because everyone is still a little bit uh, basking, I guess, in the in the three two win over Manchester United, the fine position that Arsenal find themselves in at the halfway point of of the season. Is this way beyond your expectations as to where Arsenal might be at this point? Yes, I'm. I'm very much in full basking mode myself. I'm. I'm, I'm staring out over grey skies in North London near the Emirates Stadium. I am fully basking in how good it's been covering Arsenal this season. It's been superb. And I'll be honest, I I was never of the opinion that Arsenal wouldn't finish inside the top four this season. I was fortunate enough to be out in America covering the pre-season tour. And even out there, when they started feeling the same lineups, the last two games, I think out there, they played the same starting eleven, And then the Sevilla game in the Emirates Cup, it was all the same team. You, mm. you got the feeling that something was building and, the vibe around the camp was happy. They made some good signings. They were addressing bits of the team that needed to be improved. And you could sense that something was building, but not something this good. I don't think anyone expected something this good. I don't think anyone expected a, a five-point lead at the top of the Premier League. And listen, we're all happy it's here, but sure. anyone who anyone who says they, they saw this coming is, is a liar. But, you know, it's, it's quite interesting because I've spoken to a few people um, in the last few months, you know, about that trip to America, about the pre-season... And pretty much all of them have said you could sense that there was something happening. You could sense there was something brewing. And, of course, that can be just like a gut feeling. And we all know our gut feeling can be completely wrong at times. Um, but when there's a consistency to the way people talk about it, um, you know, Ian Wright was on the other day. He talked about being at the Adidas thing. Uh, Musa Kwanga, who does the uh, Wrighty's House, the Stadio podcast, was saying the same thing. He was out there talking about what Gabriel Jesus had brought to the group with Gabriel Martinelli, this, this sort of sharpness, this this energy to everything, something you've said, and I know, I know James was out there in the summer as well, that these these moments perhaps which seem maybe inconsequential because we all go well it's preseason everything is you know it doesn't matter if you win you know it's all about fitness just get ready for the start of the season but what happens there goes some way to generating the momentum that takes you to where Arsenal are right now yeah I mean listen when it comes to incorrect gut feelings you're talking to a man who owns a Carl Jenkinson shirt I've got form when it comes to, to getting that wrong but um I felt like I was pretty solid on this one. This gut feeling felt, felt pretty secure. And I think you could tell towards the end of last season, to be honest, that something was building. I think the fact that Arsenal lost out to Tottenham, biggest rivals on the final day, Champions League. I think it's not so long ago that the Emirates Stadium, that would have been a really toxic place to be on a day like that. But the final day against Everton, mm. I, I think you were there actually. It was, yeah. it was actually a really nice day. The sun was shining. Everyone was in a good mood. It helped that they won 5-1, of course, but I think the atmosphere before the game was, was superb. And I think lots of people who've been following the club and who are inside the club got the feeling that something was building. And I think just the the unity you could sense around the place and the idea that everyone had bought into what Mikel Arteta was trying to do. And I think post-January, there was a real, I think post-Man City on New Year's Day last season, there's, there's been a real 
understanding in this team that if they play the way they want to play and don't bend themselves to opposition and don't try and change the way they want to play to who they're trying to play against, then you get the sense that results will come from that. Mm. And I think that's that's something that is a massive benefit to this Arsenal side. And you look at the way they play and they play with belief. I think it's very clear that they're taking the manager's word as gospel, which is obviously, you know, there's evidence of that on the pitch. And I think, you know, with tactical decisions he's making this season, I think there's every reason for that. And yeah, the unity, the belief, the confidence, but not the arrogance. I think that's just when you start to sense that something's really building and you speak to all the new signings and people like Zinchenko and Jesus, I was fortunate enough to interview Jesus out in America and he'd obviously come from Man City. And when you interview a new signing, they're obviously going to say, yeah, it's great. Everyone's nice. I love it here. But the vibe you were getting from him, and this is a guy who'd been around Guardiola training, you know, champ- Champions League finals, Premier League winning teams. And his vibe was, it's, it's, it's good here. I, I like what I'm seeing. The mentality is good. And all those things, just you, you got the feeling something was building. It, like I said before, not this good, but I think all those things really have sort of formed a, a lovely cocktail for us. Yeah, I mean, your, your point about the final day last season is really interesting because by rights, you know, by rights, maybe that's not the, the way to put it, but you could understand if there was a measure of frustration around. And I know that when we did our event in, in Union Chapel with the Arsenal Vision guys the night before, there was no real sense that Arsenal had let something slip. There wasn't that anger. There was, I'm sure that people were frustrated and everything else. But what people were able to see was progress. And as a football fan, even if things don't go your way, if you feel like you're going in the right direction, then it becomes less acute when disappointment happens. It doesn't mean to say that you can't be disappointed or you shouldn't be disappointed or anything else. But it's a case that, like, you know, I think if, if at the end of last season everyone had said, well, fuck, that was the that was on, the only chance we were going to get to get back in the top four. If people really felt like that was true... I think the mood would have been a lot more uh, downhearted, let's say. But I, 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 I suspect most people, not everybody, of course, but a lot of people saw that this was a team that was building, that was going in the right direction, that with the right additions in the summer, particularly given what happened last January where they decided not to make any signings to make sure that they got the right people in the summer, that the progress that that was made last season could be continued. And here we are like you, I think we're, you know, way ahead of where I thought we were going to be, but it's still very nice, but it is the next step. If you like that, you're looking for this constant improvement all the time and, and providing that and doing that when you get to a certain level, there's only so far you can go to try and improve. Like how do Man City improve every season? How do, how do Liverpool improve every season? It's not easy. You take your eye off the ball, you can end up like Liverpool this season, you know? So it is really about maintaining that direction of travel. Yeah, I think it also helps that we're all very aware of what it is that Arsenal are trying to do. So in years gone by, I, I think back to the times under Unai Emery when it was very toxic around the Emirates Stadium towards the end of the the Arsene Wenger era as well, and probably the early stages of Arteta during that COVID season when Arteta was chopping and changing team back three. There's all these sorts of inconsistencies, and we didn't really have any solid ground to, to build, a, I guess, a faith in what Arteta was trying to do and a faith in what the team were trying to achieve. Now, I think pretty much since the summer of, what is it, 2021, when the six signings came in, all 23 and under, ever since then, I think most people have understood what it is Arsenal are trying to do. And 
whether you like it or loathe it, you can't really argue with the fact that what they're trying to do is what they're trying to do and they're sticking to it. And I think that's really impressive. I think it's brought a lot of people along the way with them. And I think it's contributed to the positive atmosphere around the Emirates. And I think you mentioned City, Liverpool, Liverpool maybe not so much a good example this year, but the clarity of what they've been trying to achieve in terms of when they make a signing, it makes sense. So even Kibior, for example, and I'm sure um, like me, you haven't heard too much about him until maybe a week or so ago. But the second you see he's a left-footed centre-back who's good on the ball, who's played in midfield, you immediately understand what it is they're trying to do. Every single signing makes sense. Every single move seems to make sense because it's clear they're building towards something. And I think when people can see the end goal, that's great. But when people can see how you're going to get there as well, that's just as important as far as I'm concerned. I think the club have done a really good job of communicating that, both directly and indirectly. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. And everyone, you know, understands... Um you know, what the strategy is and how it's going to be implemented and what way they're going to they're going to try and build a squad and continue to build the squad. I suppose we could talk a little bit about a player who, you know, doesn't necessarily on paper or didn't necessarily on paper fit into that that strategy, and that's um, Leandro Trossard who came in from, from Brighton. And very much a reaction to um, missing out on Mikhailo Mudrik, of course, and Arsenal needed to get something done very quickly. But... I was watching clips of this um, Aaron Ramsdale podcast. I don't know if you've uh, been able to to see the whole thing yet. Apparently, it's three hours long, which is just a bit too much for me to commit to. Three hours of Aaron Ramsdale. I love Aaron Ramsdale. Don't get me more, uh, wrong. But three hours of Aaron Ramsdale talking to two lads. I don't know. I, I'm going to find it difficult to uh, commit to that. Nevertheless, there are uh, bits and pieces that have come out. And he talked about Trossard and he said, it was quite interesting. He said, Trossard isn't just coming to be a squad player. He said, you might look at this as a signing and say, he's going to be a squad player. You know, he'll fit in. He'll do, you know, add a bit of depth here and there. He said, he's coming here to take somebody's place. That's the mindset that he's arriving at Arsenal with. And, like, good luck to him because he's got Gabriel Martinelli on one side. He's got um, Eddie Nketiah in the middle. Uh, you know, we know he can play in behind the striker as well, which is, you know, not exactly where Martin Odegaard operates, but, you know, there are thereabouts. Bakayo Saka on the right-hand side. But I, I think there's something very interesting about players being aware of that mindset. So if Aaron Ramsdale's telling two lads on a podcast, Trossard is here to take someone's place, the players that he's looking to take the place of also know that so the the way that a, a an experienced player coming in can impact the dynamic of the squad is so interesting because you know if you're Gabriel Martinelli and I'm not saying he's complacent or resting on his laurels or anything like that far from it but in that first half of the season you know you're going to play every week because Emil Smith-Rowe is injured, Reese Nelson has been injured, Marquinhos is not ready. There isn't really anyone else to play on that left-hand side. Now, though, when you go into training on a Monday morning or a Tuesday morning, you know you've got another guy there who wants your place. You know you've got Smith-Rowe back who wants your place, who wants to play. And I think part of what Arteta is trying to do, um, and hasn't really had to do because he's had a small squad for such a long time, is to add the kind of players who bring, we talk a lot, a lot about, you know, the competitive, having a competition in the squad, et cetera, et cetera. But it is really important. It is, you know, for the players, for the manager, it gives the manager options and things like that. So when we think about how this squad is being constructed, those elements don't really get talked about uh, quite enough. A really good example of that is um, in the summer when Arsenal extended Eddie and Ketty's contract. 
everyone was saying, oh, that's great. He'll be a backup to Jesus. And I think we've seen since he's come in how he's impacted the team. He's not a backup. He's a competitor. And that's such a difference from last season when you look at um, the injuries Arsenal struggled with towards the end of the season. And we were, I was doing predicted 11 every single week for Football London. And it was literally trying to find a new way of, is it going to be Martinelli or will it be Smith Rowe? And that's the headline that you had to try and rework every single week. And it was tough because realistically, there was only 12 players who were going to play, maybe a few more beyond that. But I think that's changed this year. And I, I do think that's, that's definitely to the benefit of this Arsenal squad. And I, I think probably the Fabio Vieira signing was an example of that as well, where he's come in. Yes, Martin Odegaard is, you know, the captain has been probably the best player in the Premier League this season, but Vieira didn't come in to play backup to Odegaard for the rest of his career. He's 22. He wants to succeed. He wants to become a Portuguese international. He's got ambitions hmm. and he knows if he wants to do that, he's going to need to take Odegaard's place. And that's got to be the mindset. And I think that's a real change from last season. I think if you look at this Arsenal team, there's a lots, lots of positions, arguably most of the positions now that Trossard and Kivior have come in where there's two players pretty much for every single position. And it's a cliche, but every single manager wants that kind of headache. Every single manager wants to be pushing on. And if you go, if you look back at the most successful teams in Premier League history, if you look back at the most successful Arsenal teams, they've always had competition. Um, for example, the midfield uh, in the Invincibles, obviously Gilberto and Vieira were the starters, but beyond that, there was Ray Parler and Edu, of course, pushing them all the way. And that makes a huge difference. And last season, going back to the Martinelli-Smith-Rowe thing, I think, Obviously, Martelli was fantastic when he came in, but part of the reason he was so good because he knew he had Smith Rowe pushing for his spot. And if he wasn't good, Smith Rowe would come in. And there was a period where it was sort of they were tra- trading blows and one would come in and score and then the other would come in and score. And it made a huge difference to that Arsenal team and it won them a lot of games. And that competition is something that teams like Man City have. It's what teams like Liverpool have. It's what the best teams have. And it's what Arsenal need if they're going to go to the next level. I think Trossard is definitely a step in that direction. Um, whether he will go on to to um to play in someone's starting spot you know remains to be seen it'd be great if he does um but I, I think those are the kind of signings Arsenal are making and if you look in the midfield now where they, they might be looking to strengthen between now and the end of the window for example people talk about Arsenal need to find a Partey backup I don't think that's how Arsenal view the transfer window right now from sort of being around the club speaking to people it seems that they're not viewing someone to come in to play a backup or cover Partey they're looking for someone who can come in and compete and eventually replace Thomas Partey. And that's that's the that's the mentality with all the signings now. That's how squad building is done effectively. And I think Arsenal have done a really good job of it. The point about Trossard as well is that like three or four years ago, if you had a 28, 29, well, he's 20. He's only just turned 28. Um, but, you know, players in their late 20s or, or some of the signings that came in who looked at Arsenal as a nice place to be in the biggest city in Europe, a lovely stadium, great training ground, lovely facilities. You get looked after. It's comfortable. Um, and I don't mean or want to dismiss any uh, professionalism or, or whatever professional pride these players have. But I think when you look at someone like Trossard, the, the path that he has taken to get to Arsenal means that he is going to be part of a very young squad. He's one of the more experienced players in it, but it's also a massive opportunity for him to compete for things that, with all due respect, at Brighton he was not going to be able to compete for. And that's not a uh, um, you know criticism of Brighton, but just the reality of, of the way football operates. Like, they're not going to get Champions League football. They're not going to compete for the Premier League title. And if there are any Brighton fans listening, I think they're a fantastic team. Uh, you know, 
we've had some very difficult games against them. I think they've played brilliant football this season. But when we're looking at this transfer from an Arsenal perspective and, and some concerns because of some of these older players that have come in in the past, I think the the sort of setup that they're coming into lends itself to a player like this doing well rather than a player coming in and going, well, if it goes well, great. If it doesn't go well, it doesn't matter. I've got a nice four-year contract. I'll stay here until, you know, I get loaned out somewhere maybe in a couple of years' time. Um, so from that from that side of things, it also makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean, this is this is Trussard's big shot. He's been waiting for this his whole career. This is the biggest club he's paid for, like we say, with all due respect to Brighton and Genk before that. But this is the biggest club he's paid for. This is possibly the first time he's, I think, going to be playing assume next season in the Champions League I don't want to jinx it but I think the gap is close to 20 points now you'd like to think it's going to happen mm-hmm. um, so this this is a big chance to prove himself at the top stage and I think it's it's symptomatic of again the, the kind of signings Arsenal are making where players are coming in with a point to prove you look at almost every single signing Arsenal have made Zinchenko came with a point to prove Jesus with a point to prove Vieira with a point to prove Matt Turner with a point to prove Marquinhos with a point to prove I could keep going on um, but that would be the whole length of the podcast. I don't want to bore <laughs> listeners. But um, I think that issue you, you outlined before of players coming maybe slightly towards the end of their career, nice contracts, um, obviously being in North London. Arsenal were aware that was an issue. Edu himself, I, I interviewed him in the summer, and he said almost those exact words for Bateson. He said, look, you come to London, you're, you're comfortable, you're over 26, you're, you're at a stage in your career when you've probably got your big contracts. And you're fine for the next four or five years. And then you go from there. I think Arsenal worked really hard to shift the perception of, of Arsenal being that kind of place where players do come to, I guess, take it easy for three, four years in their career when they want to try and, uh, I guess, get a decent wage packet. I think that's that's definitely changing now. The whole young, hungry makeup of the squad has made a huge difference. And I think also from an Arsenal perspective, the, the resale value is, is, is massive. But I think Trossard is, is a sensible signing in the sense that Premier League proven, scores lots of goals, um, you know, makes a huge difference, already made an impact against Man United. But like you say, for all those reasons, in terms of coming in, not just to be a bit part player, as, as Ramsdale says, coming in, not just to be a squad player, but coming in to, to prove his point and to, to make his mark at the highest level of football he's ever played. Like this is his opportunity. And you would think that he'll be as motivated as possible to take it. And there were questions over his attitude when he came in. I don't think, I mean, you can't read it down crystal ball, you can't see the future, but, you would assume that those won't be too much of an issue if he is aware that this is his, his big shot. And yeah, you'd like to think that, that he'll knuckle down and hopefully he'll be a very effective player for us. Yeah, let's hope so. Um, we might talk about you know whether or not he plays uh, tomorrow night or, well, tonight, as people are listening to this, we're recording on Thursday um, in the FA Cup. But I did want to talk a little bit about uh, Mikel Arteta's press conference yesterday. And you asked him about Mohamed Elneny. Um amid rumours that the injury that's keeping him out of the team could be more serious than Arsenal are letting on. Now, you know, and I'm sure many people listening to this know, that Mikel Arteta does not like to give very much away when it comes to injury news. Um, He doesn't really go into details, which is, you know, in stark contrast to the way things were before he took over, where they were, you know, posting updates all the time. You know, this is the latest from the medical room. X player is going to be out for X weeks, blah, blah, blah. None of that anymore, because Mikel Arteta does not want to give anybody any information. So for him to say... Yeah, there might be some concerns about Mohamed Elneny because he's not a guy who 
complains about things probably tells you that there is something going on in that sense. And, um, you know, I, I get why he's keeping or wants to keep it under wraps because there's, what, five days to go before the transfer window closes. Look, January's difficult enough already, and I don't think it's the kind of thing that makes or breaks a deal or makes it impossible to do a deal, but it adds another layer of complication if everybody knows that the reason you want to buy a midfielder is because one of your most experienced midfielders is banjaxed and is possibly going to miss the rest of the season. I don't know if that's the case with him or not, but were you a little surprised that Arteta was... I mean, as open as that, which isn't really very open, but just a tiny crack, like, you got in there. It was, it was funny. Um, so my first question is, do you think you'll be available for Friday night? He said, ah, I don't know, maybe. And then I said, you think there's a concern that he might be out for a long time? He said, yes, there's a concern. So he refused to say that he wouldn't be available for Sunday, but he also said that he might be out for a long time. So mixed messages. But um, I think... There's uh, Mikel Arteta, I think he's very aware, particularly in the transfer window, um, that he can possibly put a bit of pressure on the board sometimes to, to act. And I think, you know, he's done that in the past. I remember after Arsenal beat Liverpool um, in the lockdown and he came out and said, look, this is great. But we need to sign more players if we're going to build on this. And he's not afraid to do that. Mm. And he did say the words, ideally, it will get more cover in midfield. And I think if you ask any Arsenal fan, they'd probably tell you the same thing. And I think, you know, It'd be weird if Arteta and the coaching staff didn't share those opinions. I think they, they know that, particularly if Elneny is out for a, a time and that's not confirmed and you, know, you don't want to say it is without knowing that for certain and Arteta didn't say that in fairness. But if he is out for a time, then yeah, Arsenal probably do need to go out and sign another midfielder in an ideal world. Um, doesn't seem like he's the biggest fan of playing out with Samuel Conger as a six. Mm. We saw this at the end of last season where he... He played him in a couple games and then brought Elneny in because I think he just feels that you need a bit more experience in that role and I understand that. But yeah, I think it does seem to suggest that the sort of the final player that Arsenal might push for this this window and of course, you know, there's the Fresnader links but those are, I guess, separate. But mm. the final immediate first team squad um, signing that Arsenal will want to, I think, push for this, this, this winter does seem to be a midfielder. And um, it would make sense. I, I guess the reason Arsenal want to hide it is because if you go out, and this was the case uh, last deadline day when they tried to sign Douglas Louise, and you know they went in and everyone knew that Mohamed Elneny was out for a long time and Thomas Partey was injured as well, and that made that deal a lot more difficult to do with Aston Villa. So if Arsenal go into this deadline day saying, look, Elneny's out for a really long time, we need a midfielder, obviously every club is going to say, well, that's an extra 10, 15, 20 million, however many. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I get why he's coy on the on the team. He's, uh, as much as it, the door was slightly ajar, as you say, slightly more ajar than, than normal. But I think he was he was seen to me like he was he was cleverly sort of putting a bit of pressure on the board to try and bring in that extra player without explicitly saying or explicitly affecting the negotiation stuff. Because I think Arsenal can still go into any transfer negotiations now and say, look, we don't know when El is going to be back. He's still being assessed. That yeah. I mean, the... The midfield situation is such an interesting one because, like like you say, there are parallels to the end of the last window where um, we needed a midfielder, we didn't get a midfielder, and the thing about that was we'd moved, because of the injury situation from trying to bring in a winger, to needing 
a central midfield player, who, which we didn't get in the end. And, and thankfully, Thomas Partey's injury didn't turn out to be as, as serious as, as maybe was thought. And Elneny was back relatively quickly, uh, considering how serious the injury was reported to be. Uh, another one where all of a sudden he was just back, by the way. There was no sort of talk of, of him coming back. He was just back. Um, so Arteta keeping it under wraps. But I think as well, there are parallels with last January too. So here we are in January 2023, and in January 2022, there was all the talk about a striker. There was all the talk about Vlavic. There was the Aubameyang situation. Lacazette's form was beginning to dwindle. Eddie Nketiah, at that point, I don't know that anybody, or too many people anyway, had a great deal of faith in Eddie Nketiah to score the goals that, that we might need. And in general, Arsenal were short. They were short up front, and ultimately... That played a part, not the only part, but it played a part in finishing fifth and finishing behind Tottenham. This time around, the stakes are really high, really high because of where we are, right? We know as well that they've got their eye on the midfield target for the summer, which is Declan Rice. So... It's a difficult balancing act, isn't it, to try and bring in a player who's good enough now to give you the cover that you need in midfield while maintaining the resources necessary to launch a bid for Declan Rice or a player of that quality. Because what, what's what's so interesting is people say, we need another Thomas Partey or we need somebody who can do what Thomas Partey does. They're, they're, a, they don't grow on trees and B, they're they're not cheap players who can do what Thomas Partey does to that level. Like, it's not like, say, well, we get another Thomas Partey and, you know, it's easy to bring in that kind of a player. Um, it is complicated by what they want to do in the summer because it showed when they brought in Gabriel Jesus that they made the right decision in the long term. But when you're sitting top of the table, when you've got another 19 games to play, plus Europa League, plus FA Cup, etc., etc. The potential downside of not doing something this January is even greater than, than last January. So I do have a measure of sympathy for them because if they want this player and they think this is the perfect player for us for the next five or six years, then you don't want to do anything necessarily to, to jeopardize that or compromise that or make that even more difficult than it's already going to be. But at the same time, Football is a results-based business. There is a short-term element that you have to deal with as well. As they showed with Trossard, that there is a short-term need that you have to take into account as well. So it's going to be quite interesting to see what they do in, in this situation, whether it's a high-profile player, whether it's somebody on loan from somewhere, whether it's another uh, signing like Jakob Kivior, who all of a sudden just comes in and, you know, nobody had mentioned him at all. I hadn't seen his name linked in any uh, uh, transfer rumors. There was nothing on Twitter. No Twitter ITKs were on this one at all. So, you know, the potential for them to maybe pull something out of the bag in that sense, you know, you wouldn't put it past them. But it is a, a, a sort of delicate situation. It really is. Um mentioned those kind of players don't grow on trees. It's also the truth that Arsenal aren't the only kind of team looking for that kind of player. Uh, if you look across uh, to West London, Chelsea could really do with a player like that. And I know Chelsea have got a habit of snapping in for Arsenal targets. They could they could really do with someone who plays in that position and 
is a pretty good player. And uh, there's talk of players like Moises Caicedo. Uh, I don't think Brighton will sell uh, this window as things stand. It seems unlikely, but you know things things could change. I'm talking on Thursday, the window closes on Tuesday. Things things change very quickly. But um, it's a real gamble for Arsenal. And last January, they they took a calculated gamble where they said, look, for the, the long-term good of the team, what we're going to do is we're going to get the right guy for this crucial position in the summer. I guess the difference this time around is it's not necessarily as crucial in the sense that it's not someone, as, as much as we were talking about before, the competitiveness and big players coming in not to be backups. It's not someone who would come in and necessarily walk straight into the starting eleven because Thomas Partey has that six-year-old on, on lockdown. So it's tricky. I guess, do you want to risk bringing in the wrong player? Mikel Arteta has been very vocal about that. He said in the past, can Arsenal afford to bring in the wrong player? And I think him and Edu's opinion is very much they can't. Guess what I'd say is when you look at how Mikel Arteta explains the Trossard signing, he said the squad was ready to absorb a player of 28 or you know however old Trossard is. If you look at those midfield positions, I would argue that those are the positions where Arsenal probably need to bring in some younger players. So Partey is, I think, 29, Xhaka 10, 30, Elneny 31 maybe. So they do need a bit more um, youth in that position. So just based on sort of track record, and that's not sort of any inside information or anything like that, that's just a, a, a guess. I'd assume they'd be going for a, maybe a younger demographic of player. But if you look at signings like Trossard, it does seem that they are willing to say, well, you know, screw it, let's try and win the league. And mm. that is the kind of signing I think Arsenal would love to, the fans would love to see Arsenal make. Whether that player is out there and available, don't know. But the funds do seem to be there. They were willing to spend a lot of money on Mikhailo Mudrik and they've now portioned that out over Trossard and Vivior and there is clearly more money there if they want to go and spend it. So it's a really interesting one for us. It's a really difficult move to get right. I mean, do you do you gamble on the short term? You could spend 50 million on a player and then he gets into the next day and you're back where you started. It's, it's a real risk. And I guess with the Premier League at stake now, it feels like a time to make a risk especially with someone who has the injury track record of Thomas Partey. I'd say if, if it was Granit Xhaka, for example, who's playing that number six role with his injury record, I think we'd all be quite confident in you know, trusting him to last the rest of the season. Whereas with Thomas Partey, he does have a a poor injury track record and there's, there's always a fear that something could happen to him and then you start to panic again. So, yeah, um, in answer to your question, I don't really know. I don't really know what Arsenal should do. I think there's really strong arguments for both sides. So I'm going to position myself firmly on the fence. But it's, it's going to be fascinating to see what they do. I'm, I'm glad it's not a decision that I have to make because it's a very difficult one. It is. It is. And look, we will find out in the not-too-distant future You know what happens transfer deadline days on Tuesday. The window closes Tuesday night at 11 o'clock. And no doubt, um, you know, particularly given the fact that Arsenal are playing on a Friday night, I suspect this could be a weekend full of stories and rumours and whispers about this player and that player and the other player. Um, so we'll wait and see, and fingers crossed they can bring somebody in because, you know, the more you can boost the squad uh, at this time of the season with a good player, um, you know, the better your chances are. And we do have um, a very good chance to do something quite special this season. But we should turn our attention to Friday night, tomorrow night, tonight, when people are listening, whatever it might be. And Arsenal are playing Manchester City in the FA Cup. And I, you know, I've seen a lot of chatter on Twitter about how Arsenal should uh, approach the cup competitions. It ranges from, well, who gives a shit? Sack off the cups completely and let's focus on the Premier League to, no, we take every game as seriously and play our strongest team in every single uh, game, you know, blah, blah, blah. So there is a range of opinion out there. 
Nevertheless, I do think this is the kind of fixture in which Mikel Arteta probably needs to make a couple of changes because there are some players who haven't been playing and they're good players. It's not like when you have um, a very shallow squad and you're making up the, like last season, you know, when you looked at the bench and you would see maybe three, sometimes four academy kids who really had no chance of getting on. Um, but we're only there to make up the numbers because we just didn't have the players. But this time around, when you look at um, the squad and you think, well, Kieran Tierney could play, Tommy Asu could use some minutes, Emil Smith-Rowe is back and we need to get him match fit. How do you get him match fit without playing him? Leandro Trossard has come in and wants to play, you know, all of those things. But you've got to balance it with the opposition, with how strong they might be. And I think in, in in this particular case, it's quite a particular scenario for Mikel Arteta, isn't it? Because he's going up against Pep Guardiola. He's going up against the club where he used to work. He's got great affection for Pep, but I think as well, you know, it will sting him that he hasn't, he hasn't got one over on Pep yet. He hasn't managed to beat a Pep Guardiola team yet. Maybe, probably should have done that last January, on January 1st, but that, you know, referees and what have you conspired to uh, to make that more difficult. But how do you think he's going to approach this? I mean, my personal opinion is that, that Arteta is the kind of guy who's going to look at every game and say, this is Arsenal Football Club, we should win this game, and I'm going to put out a strong team to try and do that. Not always the strongest team, but... A strong team nonetheless. And I think he is capable of making changes to the team that plays Man City. Three or four changes, maybe five, and still field a pretty strong team. So I'm curious as to how you think he might approach this. It was telling in the press conference that he, he did reference the fact that Arsenal's next game isn't for eight days until after this, this Man City FA Cup tie. Everton away um, next week. That, I think, does suggest that he, he wants to go strong. Um, having said that, I do think he'll be wary of the fact last season, when Arsenal did need to call upon squad players, the likes of Albert Sandy, Lukonga, um, Cedric, uh, Mohamed Elneny, players like that who had to come in, Eddie and Ketia. They came in cold because they hadn't played, they hadn't kicked the ball for four months. They'd been sitting on the bench coming on for five, ten minutes at the end of each game when Arsenal had, like we, like we were talking about before, those basically 12 players that they were thinking from. And I think he'll be wanting to avoid that as well. Mm. Um, he'll also, being an Arsenal man and knowing the history of the club, he'll probably worry the last time Arsenal were in a similar position where I think it was the FA Cup fourth round again and they were challenging with Man United for the, the title instead. And Arsene Wenger went for the decision to, I think, rotate almost entirely the 11. They ended up losing 4-0 and suddenly the, the title challenge goes off the rails and you don't want to field... Um, an entirely changed eleven. go there, get hammered by City, and then suddenly you've got the inferiority complex that you spent years working to get rid of. Suddenly that's back, and then you face them twice in the space of a few weeks in the Premier League, and suddenly you know, you're know you worried about giving up six points in the title race mm. and you've only got a five-point lead, and that's huge. So it's it's a really difficult balance here. I think he'll go strong. I think we'll probably see one of Saka and Martinelli start. I think Enketia obviously will start. I'd be really interested to see if Matt Turner starts because Aaron Ramsdale is obviously the number one, but historically in those important cup games, the Carabao Cup semi-finals last season, Ramsdale came in instead of Leno. Mm -hmm. So maybe that suggests Ramsdale will play. 
will Kibby will get his debut? I was, yeah, I was, I was suggesting that might happen in the press room yesterday, and a lot of people were vehemently disagreeing. Mm-hmm. And it is, it's throwing him a bit into the lion's den to give him his first ever start away at Man City, having come from you know playing with Spezia. Uh, that's a that's a big big jump mm. to make that there. And you know, I'd expect Tommy Asuncini to come in. I'd probably expect Rob Holdings to come in. You'd think Fabio Vieira would play, things like that. But I do think Arteta will be wary of the, the psychological aspect of really sending a message out to City. And if Arsenal go there and they, they beat them or if they get a replay or whatever, suddenly the inferiority complex, the way everyone's saying, oh, Arsenal can't do it because Man City are too good. Arsenal can't win the Premier League. Man City are a machine. They've got Haaland. They've got Foden, Silva, etc. They're They're going to eventually wear Arsenal down. Suddenly, people stop believing that because Arsenal have shown that even when Man City do play them, they can, you know, hold their own. And there might also be the revenge aspects of, you mentioned that game last season. That was the last time Arsenal played Man City because obviously the, mm. the game got postponed. So Arsenal have a score to settle. And we saw the Man U game. I think Saka mentioned it after the match that they're, they're, they're keeping scores and they want to settle these scores. So it's a really fascinating match for an FA Cup fourth round tie, which essentially doesn't have that much on it in terms of the game, because I don't think either side will be too bothered if they go out of the FA Cup at this stage. I don't think, it's that stage of the competition where you're not really concerned about winning it. Obviously, if it gets to fifth round, great. But if you're out, it's kind of a blessing in disguise because you can focus on the other two competitions. But with the psychological warfare and the mind games that goes on in the title race, which is essentially a two-horse title race now, it's going to be fascinating. And I expect our tests to go strong. Um, how strong is very difficult to say. I think, um, I think he'll make changes on the sides, but I think he will keep the spine of the team intact. So I think he'll play Ramsdale. I think he'll play Saliba and Gabriel. I think he'll play Partey and Xhaka. Whether then he might play Vieira ahead of Odegaard, perhaps. Um, Smith-Rowe and and Trossard on the wings ahead of Sack and Martinelli. Um, makes sense to me. The two fullbacks coming in. I don't think there's a chance that Rob Holding starts in a game like this. Um, I just think going there if it was anyone else, I think he would be more inclined to make changes. I think he would make uh, a few more changes. Obviously, the, the, the quality of the, of the opposition dictates to a large extent how how you pick your team. But I think he will, I think he'll keep the spine as intact as possible. And, um, you know, that's going to mean probably another game on the bench for Albert Sambi Lokonga. You know, and this is the kind of game where, he will be thinking, okay, I, I'm I'm going to start, I'm going to play. Um, but I do think City are just so good. They can make changes and still look really, really, really strong. Really strong. But then again, you know, if you're looking at an Arsenal team that, that um, is bringing in Tommy Asu and Tierney and Trossard and Smith-Rowe as the changes and p- potentially Fabio Vieira, it's a lot stronger than it was last season, as, as you've said. So the potential for changes plus... Uh, a cohesive Arsenal performance is much higher than it was uh, this time last year. Even the Oxford game, it took them a while to get going, but you could tell that the, the tenets of what Arteta's trying to do in terms of Arteta ball, if you like, they were there. The, the units on the side, the, the build-up play, the positioning of the fullbacks, it was all very Nicola Arteta's Arsenal, even in a game against Oxford, as much as you know, players came into it cold. I, I just think it's 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 a really tricky dynamic because Arteta is very aware of squad harmony and that kind of things and characters in the squad and Someone like Lukonga, I, I, I agree with you. I don't necessarily think he should be starting in a game like this. I think there's definitely an argument to suggest he shouldn't be. 
But if you don't play him now, and then Arsenal get a difficult draw in the next round of the Europa League, let's say just have Destiny to get Barcelona in the next round of the Europa League, you're thinking, when when is he going to play again for the rest of the season? And that's that's a real, you know, I guess sentimentality can't come into these decisions too much for Arteta, but that is a, a real concern. And I guess someone like Akibio, for example, if he doesn't play tomorrow, Friday tonight, sorry, when people are listening to this, when will his Arsenal debut come? When will he first play for Arsenal? It could be March, it could be April, it could be a long way down the line. And mm. that's a really difficult balancing act. I don't think Arteta, he doesn't. He strikes me as a man who, when he needs to be, is ruthless and he doesn't have an issue with making big decisions. So I don't think that will necessarily factor into his head, but it's, it's certainly an interesting thing to consider. The team news is going to be fascinating. Yeah, sure will. Sure will. And that's, you know, that's part of the challenge of having a, a bigger squad. And I'm not saying it's easy to manage a, a team uh, where you've only got 12 players because ultimately that, presents its own problems, you know, with fatigue and and availability and injuries and things like that. But um, it is the challenge of having a bigger squad is keeping these guys happy. And, uh, you know, let's hope he can do that. Like you say, team news later on will be uh, very interesting indeed. We leave it there, though. Kaya, great to talk to you. Thanks a million. Thank you very much for having me on. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Thank you very much indeed to Kaya. You can find him on Twitter. He is at KayaKainak97, at KayaKainak97. And, of course, he writes about Arsenal for Football London. Right. That is just about that for this week's show. It's been a busy podcasting week, to be fair. We had the Arscast Extra. We had the 30. We had our new player profile signing uh, podcast. A couple of those were on Patreon, of course, which you can get access to if you are a Patreon member, patreon.com forward slash arsblog. We also had Ian Wright. It's always great to talk to him. And thank you so much for all the the feedback and the replies and the comments on that episode. It's uh you know, the internet isn't always the most positive place in the world, but that was like 100% positive from pretty much everybody. So thank you for that. Another thing I just want to mention before the end is I did go into my uh, Instagram and like, I never look at this stuff and there's like message requests and you go in and there's like, oh, all the, all the people who you don't follow on Instagram, all the messages go in there and there's like loads of them. And um, look, just to say that if anybody wants to get in touch with me over anything that's like vaguely important please just fire me through an email the email address is on the website you can get in touch with me directly that way and while you're not going to get a reply straight away i do my best to reply to every single email that i get and it's just much easier for me to to reply via email than in the message request thingy in facebook and it's a pain in the arse typing stuff on the phone so if there's anything important 
please don't send it via Instagram. Send it via email. You'll find the email address on the site, and I'll do my best to get back to you as quickly as I can. Right, let's leave it there. And as the game is Friday night, we're going to do the Arsecast Extra for you on Sunday. I think I'm just double-checking with James here, but I do think we said Sunday. Uh, because too much time passes between Friday and Monday to do the podcast. So join us for that on Sunday, I think. 99% certainly we said Sunday. So do join us for that. As ever, thank you very much indeed for listening. Hope you enjoyed the show, and we'll catch you on the next one. Until then, cheers. Bye-bye. Hello everybody, welcome to the Arshcast, with me, your host, Andrea Shevin. <laughs> Today's show is sponsored by Mr. Kipling. He makes exceedingly good cakes. For example, this apple pie. <laughs> oh, so delicious. I will be eating more cakes as the podcast goes on. But now it's time to introduce my first guest. Is a household name. And we have many questions that we can ask him about such matters as pastry, icing, and delicious fluffy sponge. He's Mr. Kipling. Welcome to the Arshcast. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.